happy Resurrection Sunday. It's a wonderful, wonderful day to celebrate. Beautiful day to celebrate. It's so good to see the body of Christ together. It's such a, such a wonderful thing. It's good to see some old friends here too. Good to see the, the church together. If you would please turn in your Bibles to a book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I'll take a break from our book of Revelation. We've been moving through the book of Revelation just slowly, methodically, and just in celebration of, of Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we, we want to have an appropriate theme for that. And that is found in Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. For if we have become united with Him, that's Christ, in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word. It's already been prayed. It's already been acknowledged in the service already. This word is so meaningful to us. It's so rich. It gives us direction in life and And hope and Lord, we just thank you for this word. We pray that you would bless our time in this word, give clarity, give understanding, illumination, give um, opportunity as well, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Help us as we think through this and meditate on this word that that we would be able to think of ways in in which our lives need to change to reflect this Word, to to line up with this Word. Because this is what governs us. This is what drives us. This is what we line our our lives up with is is this Word, this unaltering Word that You have given us. Bless our time. May we be, may this time be honored and glorifying to You. Lord, it already has been. Just the joy of your saints meeting together. That is such a wonderful thing. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, who raised from the dead. Now, that's an incredible thing. No one has ever done that. No one had done that. Who raised from the dead. 
death, now we've talked about this before, death is essentially the separation of the soul and the body. They're to separate. There's death from that body, and that body then decays and it begins to turn back to dust. But the opposite is true in a uh, resurrection. It's when the, the soul and the body come back together and are reunited. And that's exactly what happened with Christ, and we celebrate that today. In Christ, after he was reunited with his body, he had a resurrected body, we would say, he stayed on earth for 40 days before he ascended to his Father. Remember that. And Christ had a glorified body, a resurrected body. Now, in many ways, it was the same kind of body that we would have today. It was a physical body. He invited people to see him, see his hands, see his feet and the side. He invited Thomas to to touch his side. He invited people to, to look on him, and, and he ate with a physical body. He ate, and he ate some fish, and, and the body was able to digest that. It's very much a physical body. We believe that Christ rose physically, and that's an important part of our doctrinal statement. But he also, there's, there's something different about his body. It, it wasn't like our sin-cursed body that we have, our sinful body that we are in now, his, his body was different. His body was different. It was a resurrected body. The Bible talks about a glorified, resurrected body. A body that is prepared for heaven. Now that's a wonderful thought. That we have to be changed. And Paul said that uh, this mortal must put on immortality. This perishable must put on imperishableness. We have to be changed. And when Christ comes and He comes and we believe in the rapture of the church, we are changed. We will be changed. We will see Him as He is and we will be like Him, the Scripture says. And He had a glorified body while He was here on this earth. This this body that was a little bit different. Now, it was different also maybe in in an appearance. Some of them, some people had a hard time recognizing him at first. And he, now remember the last time they had seen him was hanging on the cross and he was probably drenched with blood and beaten in his back and, well, he was, he was brutally murdered at that time. And they're not expecting to see him and they, and, uh, they, they do recognize him, but there's a little bit different there. And he was able to do amazing things. The disciples, about a week later, they were in the upper room and the doors were locked and they were still afraid because of the persecution that was going to come upon them. Of course, they they killed their leader and certainly they would kill them. So they were locked in this room. No one could get in or out unless they knew that. And all of a sudden, Christ appeared in their midst. Now think about that. This glorified body of Christ was able to somehow get into that room that was locked and closed. Uh, through the walls, through the roof, or somehow, I don't know. This glorified body can do that. It was, a, it was a different kind of body. It was a body that had been prepared for heaven. And we long for that kind of body. We long for that. When Christ returns, our, our body will be released from this body. Our body will be changed and we'll take on a new body. But for now, we are stuck in this sin-cursed body. That is racked with sin. But there's good news. Paul in this passage, this is a wonderful passage. Paul in this passage tells us how we can live a resurrected life. A renewed life, if you will. 
if you look at verse 4, back to verse 4, he said you can walk in newness of life. We're raised to walk in newness of life. That's here and now. That's not futuristic. That's not someday, but that's here and now. In verse 13, if you skip down there, and there's other places, but just pointing out a couple, that uh, we present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. That's the way we're to see ourselves. Those alive from the dead. A resurrected body. Paul talks about this life that we can live even here and now. That is a resurrected kind of life. Now, it's not going to be in the same way. We're not going to be able to walk through laws or, or do incredible things. And we're still stuck with this sinful body. But he, Paul gives us reasons why we should not sin and, and how to deal with this sinful body while we're here on this earth. And he bases that, grounds that, in the resurrection. Now, that's doctrine, think about it, doctrine that's being uh, presented in a practical way. I like what John Calvin says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important article of our faith. The most important doctrine that we have is the resurrection. He goes on to say, and without it, the hope of eternal life is extinguished. There is no hope. There is no hope. Based in the resurrection. But Paul takes that concept and he, he presents to us, he gives us some application to that resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he takes that doctrine and makes it very, very practical in this passage. And I want you to see the context here. In Romans chapter 1, first of all, Paul is just exalting the gospel. The gospel is, is what man needs. And chapter 2, that gospel he compares with the law. And the law is not able to do what the gospel can do, that changing of life. In chapter 3, he talks about our sinfulness and the need of justification. And that comes only through belief in Christ. In chapter 4, it's it's faith, justification through faith alone. And in chapter 5, the results of that justification comes, uh, the result of that is being in Christ. Us together with Christ. A union with Christ. Now that's an important flow of thought that we need to to see. Because we're connected with Christ and that's how we are justified. It is not by works at all. It is completely and all by grace. By grace. But then that raises an interesting question that Paul has for us. He says, well, if it's just by grace and we don't have to work, we don't have to do the law or anything like that, and let's just keep on sinning. He anticipates them saying that in verse 1, chapter 6 and verse 1. He says, what should we say then? We are, we are, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? And then he says, may it never be. Absolutely not. Christians don't even think like that. And he, and he lays out for us, how to deal with this sinful body, how to think through this, and that includes a resurrected body, a life living, or lived to God, a, a newness of life. So here's what I want us to see. In light of the death and the resurrection of Christ, our union with Him and every believer, union with Him, every believer is able to walk in newness of life. And that's an important statement. It's an important thing for us to realize and understand. You say, well, how do we, how do we live this resurrected life? How do we do that? How do we walk in newness of life? A life lived unto God, a spiritual, be spiritually alive. He gives us three key terms in this passage. 
Three terms that we need to know as believers. We need to understand these things. The first one is the word no. The word no. Now let's look at verse 5. He lays out the principle for us. For if we have become united with him, that's Christ, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now here's the principle. We are united with Christ, we're connected with Him, in no way can be separated from Him, and we get the benefit of that. We get the benefit of His death, and and the benefit of His resurrection. And we're united, and so we get the, the benefit of both of those things. Now that union comes by faith. When we place our faith and trust in God, believing in Him, then we are united with Him. And we get the benefit. It's, it's ours. The benefit of his death. He died to sin. But he lays the principle out here. And we are alive to Christ. And here's what he says. He says, knowing this, verse 6, is something we are to know as Christians. Knowing this. Knowing this, that this old self was crucified, again dead, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That's uh, gone. And we are no longer slaves to sin. We, we know this. No longer slaves to sin. For a man who dies is freed from sin. And if we have died in Christ, same principle over and over again. He just says it. We are dead to sin. We believe we shall also rise with Him. In the middle of verse 8. We believe. So we know and we believe. And look at verse 9. Knowing that. Again, it uses this word know. Knowing that. Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. The death no longer is master over him. And we know these things. We're called to know this. We, we know it, and we believe it, and we, we know it again. And he just keeps going over the same principle. We've died, we've been raised, and we're united with Christ in that. And uh, a good symbol of that is baptism, isn't it? You've seen baptisms, and we are... We are baptized into the water, fully immersed into the water. We are baptized in a spiritual sense. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we, we die to self and we're resurrected. That's the symbolism. That's what he's communicating here. Now the word know here, so he lays out this principle in verse 5. In verse 6 and 8 and verse 9, he gives us the word know. And this word know is an interesting word. It's, it's the idea... It's not know by experience, because there's certain things that we just know by, by picking it up, by our senses. But we don't know just by experience these things. This is divine revelation. Somebody has to actually tell us these things. This is a knowing by, by information. Somebody informs us of these things. This is a divine revelation. This is revealed to us by God. Our senses didn't perceive this. And once our senses, once we have been informed, then within the Christian community, Paul, the way Paul uses this is that this is common knowledge now. We know these things. This is fundamental to our, our faith, fundamental to our Christianity. And, and we, uh, we all are aware of these things, the way Paul is using this here. And we're to know that. That Christ conquered death and sin and our union with Him gives us the benefit of that death and the resurrection. And we're to know that. Now what specifically are we to know? 
Well, in a general sense, I like what John MacArthur said. He says, we're to know that in Christ, you are not the same people you were before salvation. Not the same. You have a new life, a new heart, a new spiritual strength, a new hope, and countless other new things that are not a part of the former life. Old things have passed away and new things have come. We are new people. That's what Paul is is getting at. We're not the same as we used to be. Now, let's apply this a little bit. We we live in the, the Bible Belt. This is the way it is. Everybody knows theology. And I think it's not necessarily based upon studied out, counseled by other men, meditated. No, this is just opinions. I believe it comes probably most from mothers preaching to their children, and which is a good thing. But as a result of that, everybody thinks they know. Whether they come to church or not, everybody thinks they know. Everybody has an idea. Oh, I've got my opinion on that. Whether they come to church or not. But we are told to know. Know truth. Not just speculate. Not just an opinion. But we're to know what God has revealed to us. There's 8 billion plus people on this world and God has given us one message and it is found in this word and we are responsible to know this word. We're responsible to study this word. Now, it's a privilege to have this word in our language. It's a privilege to be able to do that. And we are responsible to know it. Now, here's the problem. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has this some idea of how the Christian life is to is to work. And we've got this idea, and who knows where it come from, this opinion that, well, you've got the good angel on one shoulder and the bad angel on the other shoulder, and, and it's whichever one you listen to, right? And, and the good angel's trying to get you to do good, the bad angel's trying to get you to do bad, and it's like we have two natures, two natures. That's not at all the way it is. We actually, God says, that we have, in Christ, we have died to sin. And, and that nature is dead. That old nature is gone. And we are alive to Christ. We have a new nature. There's a new Carl Dingus inside this, this fleshly body. Now the implications of that are, are staggering. It's so much different than having a, a good angel and a bad angel. We don't, we don't have that encumbrance anymore. You say, well, we still sin. We still sin. But you know what? The Bible tells us God informs us that that old nature, that sin has been dead. It is gone. It has been done away with. It has died. It has been crucified. How many other ways can Paul say that? It's gone. And we have one nature. You say, well, how in the world do we still, how do we still sin? Why do we struggle with sin at all? Let me try to illustrate that. And this is a hard thing to illustrate. Here's what you have. Here's what you have. A couple of years ago, my wife and I decided we we're going to paint Carolyn's room, my daughter's room, and we we're going to use, we thought it was a very subtle yellow, but, uh, you know, it looks different in the store, and oh, it just looks so nice and pastel. When you get it home, it's as bright yellow as a, a neon sign, you know, and you begin to paint this room, and we're not painters, and we don't work together real well, and so it, it, there's conflict, of course, and 
But what we do is I want to get, of course, every drop of paint out of that bucket. I will turn that bucket upside down and just lay that and just wait for 15 minutes to let every drip. And then I'll take my clean brush and I will clean that paintbrush out. And there is no more yellow paint in that can, right? No more yellow paint. But when you look at that can, you can tell what color we painted the room. Now, the can's empty. I can't get any more paint out. But you know the color of the paint that we painted the room, right? How do you know that? Because there's still paint on the can. There's that, in translating that into the spiritual realm, there's a, there's a, 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 a sinfulness. There's a residual effect of our sin that is still on us. We are, we've been emptied of that sin, but we still have that on us, and that comes from our flesh. Comes from our flesh. So we still struggle. But it's not, it's completely different than having a full can of paint there, isn't it? It's different. The struggle is, is not as much. We have died to that. Now, God says we need to know that. We need to understand that. Because here's what happens. We will mislabel ourselves if we don't understand that. We will go around as victims of sin. And I see so many Christians do that. They're just victims of sin. I can't help I, I do this. I just can't help it. You know, we're all sinners. And yeah, we're all sinners. But we have died to that old self. We have one nature. That new nature is not like the old nature. That new nature is, is there's a drive for righteousness there. We've been made new. In, the, um, in Ephesians chapter 2, you can turn over that this verse real quick, but Ephesians chapter 2, here's, here's the way we should see ourselves. Paul says this, talking about this, the sinful world, he says, Among them, we too all formerly lived. And we used to live like that, but not anymore. According to the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of the wrath. But God, and that's the incredible part, but God, He has changed us. We're not like that anymore. Oh, we may have some residual sin. We may have some, some habits that we need to break. Or we may have some words that we need to correct. We may have some old ways of thinking in our mind that we need to correct. But, but that can is empty. That, that, that old nature is gone. It's worn out. It's It's not there anymore. And there's a new Carl Dingus. There's a new person living inside you if if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. We live in a world where our identity is confused. Some some of their identity is confused. Some men want to be women and women want to be men. And they're, they're confused. There's no confidence in that kind of life. We as Christians, we can live a confident life because we know we have one new nature. We've been changed. We've been changed. I like what Hosea said. Well, God said this through Hosea the prophet. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I think so much of the Christian life is so clear when we just read Scripture, when we inform our minds. When we inform our minds. And to live a 
a uh, resurrected life, we must know that we are joined with Christ. We are baptized into Christ. There's a connection, a union there with Christ. And we get the benefits of His death and His resurrection. We need to know that. Number two, the next word that we need to understand is the word, the word consider in verse 12. Even so, that's the same principle... Same principle that he just keeps going over and over. Our union with Christ, we've died and we're alive now. Spiritually alive. Even so, consider yourself, verse 11, consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Same thing. Saying the same thing. What's the deal? Here's a different word though. It's not just know anymore, but it's consider yourself. It's it's a a middle voice. It's something that's being done to you. You're doing this to your own self. You're considering yourself. You're seeing yourself as as having been dead, having been crucified with sin. The word in the new NIV standard Bible is the word to count. This word count. In the King James, it was the word reckon. That was the word I memorized when I was growing up. It was to to reckon ourselves. And here's the idea, is to fully affirm the truth. So the truth is out there, it has informed us, and we are now fully informed. It's not just a mental thing anymore. It's not just somebody told me, no, I understand it, I believe it, I grasp that. That is part of my identity, part of who I am. Uh, one uh, definition I saw, uh, I liked, says this, it's, it's having unreserved inner confidence, an unreserved inner confidence in the reality of what the mind acknowledges. So our mind acknowledges, yes, that's truth. I acknowledge that. But as a result of that, I have no reservations and I have full confidence in that truth. Full confidence in that truth. What's the truth now? Okay, united with Christ, dead to sin, alive to God. Have full confidence in that. This is a principle that governs our life, our whole life. And it must be worked out in the way we live. Sin does not rule us anymore. It it does not master over us. It is not uh, something that we obey. It's lust. We don't have to obey it anymore. It's dead to us. You say, well, why do so many people struggle over this? Probably mainly because of the ignorance. We don't know. Uh, we're not taught. There's so many in the church that, that don't know these principles of how to deal with sin. And you've got to see yourself as, as being united with Christ and in Christ and dead and alive. You need to see yourself as that. And, it's, and so it's sometimes out of ignorance. Sometimes it's just hard to believe. It's hard to believe that I'm not a, a slave to sin anymore. It's hard to believe that that Satan's not leading me about by my own lust, my own desires. I just follow him and I do whatever he wants me to do. It's hard to believe. Sometimes we just have to believe it, put faith in this truth. Also, our salvation may not be dramatic enough. And so we, we kind of still see ourselves in a sinful state. I, I didn't get saved like he did. That was real dramatic, out of drugs and crime and all of this. And so we don't see that ourselves, or we don't see that about ourselves. So we just continue in sin. We just struggle day to day, battling sin. 
thinking that that's just normal. Well, that's the normal part of the Christian life, and we just can't help it. Again, a victim mentality. Here's another quote. It says, Until a believer accepts the truth that Christ has broken the power of sin over, the, over his life, he cannot live victoriously because in his innermost being, he does not think that that is possible. That's where we live, folks. We do not believe in this word. When it says you have died to sin, we need to take it out as word. Sin is not the slave master over you that it once was. That's where we live. So we struggle with sin because we don't know it, because we don't reckon it. We don't uh, consider it. Now, you say, well, this is just the power of positive thinking. Oh, yeah, just tell yourself, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. It's just this mantra we go over and over. No, it's not that. It's not mind games. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of how we see ourselves. That's important. We have to see ourselves as united with Christ. We see ourselves as having died to sin and walking a newness of life. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He's a pastor of the last century. He said this, There is nothing more important in the Christian life than to realize that our union with Christ is a vital one. When he says that, it's a living dynamic. It's a living union. He goes on to say, It is a living thing. It is not something mechanical or conceptual. It's not just this idea out there or this thought He said it is a vital spiritual union, a living spiritual union. It's alive. We are united with Christ positionally. And when God sees us, He sees us as pure, having Christ's righteousness all over us. He doesn't see the sin. That's a wonderful thought. And folks, that then gives us confidence to go through life. It's not self-confidence, not confidence in, oh, look at me, man, I'm, I'm uh, without sin. No, it's not that at all. It's not pride. It's confidence in the truth. Here's what the Word of God says, and I need to believe it. I need to live it. It's part of my life. It is who I am. So, when we face temptation, we can confidently say, no, I can reject that. When we face death, we can go confidently into death. No, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. We can face death with with confidence. And we can face life knowing that there's nothing, there's no sin that can overcome us and, and overcome the grace of God in our lives. These are powerful thoughts. Powerful thoughts. And the question for us as far as application, are you confident? Do you know for sure that you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your sin and turned to Christ? Are you in Him? Dave read for us uh, Romans 8. And it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. That is so crucial. We see ourselves as being in Christ. We consider ourselves. We think through that. We connect the dots. And we see ourselves as being in Christ. And that's the way we live our life. That's our identity, folks. Let me give you one last word, one last principle. And that word is to present. And you see that in verse 12. So we know 
First of all, we know. We have to know these things. And we're dealing with sin. Should we sin? Paul says, no, don't sin anymore. You don't need to do that. We need What you need to do is you know the principle. Union with Christ, dead and alive to Him. We know that. And then we consider that. We connect those dots. We make that a part of who we are in our life. And then, here's the key, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's this physical body that we're in now. So that... You obey its lust. You don't need to. You don't need to obey it. Here's what we are to do. And and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't do that. He says, but here's the key. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. Now that's a resurrected life. We present constantly day by day. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, take me. Um, I'm, I'm your instrument. I, I want you to use me. Alive spiritually from the dead, it says. And members, we present our members as instruments of righteousness. For sin, and here's the bottom line, for sin it does not master over us. We're under grace, not under law. Precious truth. You say, well, what does this mean? The word present there is to, is to yield. Now, this is the way I learned this many, many years ago. We know, reckon, and yield. Those are the three principles. Know, reckon, well, consider. Now, those are old King James terms. We know, we consider ourselves, and then we present ourselves. And the word present is to, to yield, to make ourselves available, to stand near and wait for a call. Now, here's the idea. You join the, the military, and what do you do? You stand, you stand at attention before your sergeant until he says, okay, you do this and you do that. And you're presenting yourself to him. Or if you were a slave back in Christ's day, you presented yourself to your master. And you stayed alongside your master. And when there was a need that come up and he would tell you to do something, you do that. We're no longer slaves of sin. We're slaves of God. We're slaves of righteousness. And when righteousness calls, when God calls, we are right there. And we do what is right. Or do what was we are called to do. Now sin, on the other hand, sin, it's a powerful monarch. And sin is determined to reign in our body. Sin wants us to think that it's in control. But it's not. Sin has no right to reign in our body anymore. We've died to sin. We don't reign. We have dethroned sin. God is in that throne now. There's no power to control the believer unless the believer chooses to obey. And that's the key. It becomes a choice now. It's not just the slavish nature of mine. I got to do it. No, we can choose. It actually goes through. It goes through um, the mind gate. Um, Let me show you an illustration of this. This is just a, reminded me of this this week when we were just thinking through some of these things. But in Genesis chapter 4, you have Cain, have Cain, and he's struggling here. Now, he probably doesn't have the new nature, and he doesn't, you know, certainly the Holy Spirit's probably not living in him and all this stuff. But I want you to see 
God confronts Cain. So he's struggling. He offered this sacrifice to God and he's, he's struggling. God didn't accept this sacrifice. And, and in verse 6, it says this, Then the Lord said to Cain, So God comes and he confronts Cain right face to face here. And he says to Cain, he says, uh, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? His countenance had fallen. He's not right with God. And his countenance had fallen. And here's what God tells him to do. If you do well, if you do what you're supposed to do, Cain, if you do well, would not your countenance be lifted up? Actually, a better translation was, uh, you'll, you'll surely be accepted is the, is the concept there. And if you do not do well, sin, now this is what I want you to hear, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. It does, its desire is for you. But you must not, but it must, or I'm sorry, you must master it. And that's it. Sin, sin is there. And it desires, it desires to master you. It does. That's the, that's the nature of sin. It's what it wants to do. And it's, it's, it wants to master you. It wants to put those handcuffs on you and tie your back and, and make you think that you are enslaved to it. And God says, if you do well, if you do the right thing, the countenance will be uplifted. If you do the right thing, and that's the, that's the idea here. If we do the right thing, we present our bodies as, to, as instruments of righteousness. We just keep on doing the right thing. Sin will not master us. And we're demonstrating that sin does not master us. Now, that sin, it it has to go through our will. As we just continue to think through this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this. This is a wonderful verse in verse 12. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, just as you have also, are always obeyed, not in my presence only, but also in my absence. God has really done a work in your life. Working, work out your, your own salvation in fear and trembling, he says. For it is God who is at work to, to will, to will and to work for his good pleasure. He works in our will. And so the proper thing to pray is, Lord, lead us not into temptation. But deliver us. Lord, don't even let me desire or will those things. As I have opportunity to sin, let it go through my mind gate. And let it filter with this concept that I'm already dead to sin. It is not appropriate for me to sin. I'm living a righteous, resurrected life. And that's kind of the bottom line, isn't it? It's natural for pigs to wallow in the mud, isn't it? It's just a natural thing. They're just doing that. Their nature, the nature of a pig, is is mud. They love it. They wallow around in it. And they just—you've seen those pictures. It's not natural for for us to wallow around in it, is it? And at some point, well, we may do it for a little bit. I like those uh, what uh, those little competitions that you have in the mud, and you come out and you're just covered. And you know, there's a, you know, people people can wallow in the mud for a little bit. But at some point, they usually get, go, go home, take a shower. It's just not natural. So we, we take a shower, we, we cleanse ourselves. It's not part of the human nature to wallow around in mud. We're not pigs. We're not pigs. So we don't stay there. 
What do we do? We confess that. Say, Lord, that's not appropriate for a sinner or for a believer. It's just not part of a resurrected life. It's just, it's just it's beneath us. It's beneath us. We are given, folks, a new nature. A new nature. One that has recognized as spiritual things. We are alive spiritually. And for us to go on sinning goes contrary to our new nature. In fact, for us to go on sinning, that's the old nature. That's not, that's just not part of the Christian at all. And we live in light of this new nature. We just constantly live in light of this new nature. And to live a resurrected life, we must know that we have died to sin and we are alive to Christ. And we must fully affirm the fact. We must consider ourselves as these things are true in our lives and we work them out in our lives and then we just constantly present ourselves to righteousness. That's the principle. That's the idea. And so in light of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our union with Him, believers, we can live in newness of life. We can live a resurrected life. I want you to notice what Paul is doing here, though. Paul is appealing to our sense of of dignity. He's appealing to our sense of, of nobility. You know, as child of children of God, we don't do that. We don't wallow around in mud and, and sinfulness. We just don't do that. That's, a, that's above us. We live a resurrected life. That's the way we need to see ourselves, folks. There's a nobility to man. We have the very image of God. We don't wallow around in sin. So let's apply this. Men, it's, it's just inconceivable. It's not, not appropriate for you to be involved in porn, pornography. It's just the two don't mix. It's just it's not part of your nature. You, you just step away from that it, and you just reject that. It's, it's beneath us. It's not something we do. We don't selfishly get angry. Not part of the resurrected life. It's not something that we do. That's beneath us. We keep ourselves under control. We have the fruit of the Spirit living in us, producing fruit of, of love and, and joy and peace and patience and kindness and those things. There's no place for selfish anger. There's no place for hate. There's no place for uh, just uncontrolled words and just reactions of this sinful flesh. There's no place for, for pride in the humble Servant of God's life. It's above Him. That's the way we have to see ourselves, folks. We are, we are dead. We're not like the world. Dead to sin. The world is still alive to sin. We are dead to sin. We are alive to Christ. We're alive to God. We're living a resurrected, resurrected life. Now, folks, we wait for this day. Someday the Lord's going to return. Someday our bodies are going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye. We're going to be, we're going to be out of these fleshly bodies. We don't have to worry about sin. It won't, it won't battle us anymore. But we can enjoy a renewed life now. Right here and now. We can live a life that the Christian is supposed to live. But we have to know, don't we? We have to know these principles. And then we have to take it from our head and move it down to our heart. It's part of who we are. It's our identity. And then we just 
It's just part of our nature just to present ourselves to righteousness, present ourselves to God. God, just, just use me. Just use me. Now, folks, that's the way, that's the way, a biblical way of handling sin. It is. You say, well, that's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. We may have to think through it. We may have to consider it. We may have to study it, meditate on it a little bit. But that's what we're called to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, on this day that we rejoice and we celebrate a resurrected Savior. A Savior who conquered death. A Savior who is alive today. And He makes intercessions for us. Between us and our God. And and He is there as a high priest. And and we love Him. and, And Lord, we are in Him. We're united with Him. What a precious thought. What an inconceivable thought. Lord, His righteousness is imputed to our account and all of our sin. It was on Him. And He died for it. He died for it. So Lord, we don't have to live that kind of life. We're not victims of sin. We can, we can be above that. We can live a righteous life that we're called to live An abundant life. A life worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Lord, these are precious thoughts. Now we know, we recognize that you are the one that has to empower us. You work in our will. You change us. On a daily basis, Lord, we're trying to scrub the the remaining um, flicks of sin in our life. We're, We're trying to put them off. But we recognize how deeply we are sinful. The more we try to scrub the the bucket, the more we recognize how hard it is, the more we recognize how sinful we are. But Lord, help us to keep trying. Because living a sinful life is beneath us. As children of God, as resurrected saints, we are victorious over death because we are in Christ. And we thank you. We we celebrate this day with thanksgiving because of our Savior being wrecked raised from the dead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. We'll have elders out. Uh, if you would like to talk with us, we'd love to pray with you, talk about these spiritual things. Even throughout the week, if you want to stop by, if the Lord has worked in your heart, you need to deal with some of these things, please talk to us. Please talk to us. Tim, come ahead. Let's close in song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father.